You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. If you have your copy of God's Word, I, I want to invite you to turn over to the book of First Peter. This is the journey that we are on uh, at Orchard right now, talking about living excellent lives. We're going to be in chapter 2, looking at verse 11 and 12. But today, I want us to think about this, beautiful living in a polarized world. Beautiful living in a polarized world. You see, if you're like me, our world is far from united. It seems as if we become more and more fragmented all the time in a place where we find ourselves each and every day with some new scandal, some new argument, some new assessment of what was wrong, Historical revisions going on everywhere, every definition up for a challenge, trying to figure out where we are and how we got here. Peter is writing to Christians who are experiencing much the same thing. Now, I know if you uh, think about it, that if you think historically, I know we think that the world is as bad as it's ever been, but I want you to think about the context in which First Peter was written. Rome is ruling all of the known world, but it is coming into this place where it is beginning to implode on itself. The golden age of those rulers and emperors is now giving way to madmen who will light their gardens with the bodies of Christians that they light on fire. And into this context where Christians are vilified everywhere, where they are misunderstood, in a culture where it seems like pluralism was gladly welcomed, there was something different about being Christian. And so as Peter writes, he is writing to a people who are trying to get their bearings. How are we supposed to live an excellent life when it seems like everyone is out to get us, no one understands us, and we are suffering violence, loss, and difficulty with those around us. As we come to this part of the letter, I would remind you of a couple of things. One, this is actually a letter. And while it is very helpful for us to have chapter and verse, sometimes it causes us to miss out on the fact that this was one letter that would have been delivered and read all at the same time. So I would commend to you, perhaps if you're looking for some homework this afternoon, Read 1 Peter. It won't take you very long. It's not a very long book, but put the pieces together. And where we find ourselves today is actually a transition point. 1 Peter 2 in chapter 11 actually begins a paragraph that goes all the way to chapter 4 in verse 11. And I just want us to look at a couple of verses today in verses 11 and 12, but Peter has just brought us to the heights. He has taken and given us this elevated vision for who we are. He reminds them that you were a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You were once not a people, but he's called you to himself. He's transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light so that we might display and confess his marvelous, merciful grace. Speak of his excellencies to those around us. And so as we come to this transition point, How are we supposed to live in a world where it seems like if you tell somebody you're a Christian, there's not a warm embrace. There's not even as much just the social construct that, oh, okay, great. Yeah, you're the polite church folk from the South, so everything's fine. Now it's different. In this increasingly secular world in which we live, it seems as if 
There's an increasing hostility to those who claim the name of Jesus. So how are we supposed to live in this? What are you supposed to do when people, instead of calling you by your given name, want to come up with some sort of snide innuendo or comment around the idea that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Peter wants to encourage us in that. And I want you to see today that he, he wants to not only encourage us how we're supposed to live with some very practical helps for us in day-to-day living, but he also tells us that he wants us not just to live, but to live beautifully. But how are we supposed to do that? Well, let's see what he has to say. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning uh, verse number 11. Let me invite you to stand with me that we might honor the reading of God's word this morning. 1 Peter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day visitation. May God bless the reading of his word, receive it as his living and active word. You may be seated. So Peter has just come to this place and he's just said, congratulations, you're now a holy nation. You're now a people. So that now means that you are sojourners and exiles. I want you to know this is one of those things that God delights in doing. He takes and helps us to understand the world in which we live differently. You will hear people describe it in different ways, a biblical worldview. It is this idea of how do you perceive the world around you? How do you understand your relationships? What are the ways in which you make decisions on what you're supposed to do on a day-to-day basis? One of the things I'm so thankful for when it comes to the scripture is that God gives us such practical helps. And today we find ourselves in this transition with some practical help. Peter says, first of all, beloved. Now, I know for us, that sounds somewhat Shakespearean, but in the Greek, it has this part of agape in it, this God love. There's a warmth and a pastoral tone to what Peter is saying. He knows these are his friends. This is his church family. They're they're watching their, their lives be destroyed in front of them. Many have watched loved ones killed in violence. They have suffered the loss of property. They have suffered the loss of many things. And so when he writes this to them, he wants them to know, hey, you are loved. It's difficult for us sometimes to think that we are loved when life gets tough. Sometimes we may feel as if, you know what, God's forgotten about me. I can't believe these things would happen. This is not how I pictured my life. This is not where I thought I would be. This is not what it's supposed to be. Surely God has forgotten me. But Peter writes to these and says, you are loved. God has not forgotten you. But I want you to know that you are sojourners. Now, for a sojourn, that's not quite the same thing as also being an exile. You see, when we're sojourning, that's the idea that you're kind of making your way through. But to be sojourners and exiles, that carries a whole different connotation. But he wants them to know, hey, listen, this is not going to feel like home to you 
anymore. Everything has changed. You have been made a new creation. And now he's taken people who were once at home and now their status has changed. And so too, their home country. For as old school as it sounds, the reality is true that one day we will find a heavenly home far beyond these shores. And Peter says, listen, I know the wheels are coming off. I know that things are terrible around you, but I want you to know that you are loved and I want you to understand you are sojourners and you are exiles, but in this, when you feel out of place, don't be surprised. Have you ever found yourself in a set of circumstances where you knew you were way out of place like a sore left thumb? My oldest just went to college last semester, and I get, you know, these random text messages and various Snapchats and things, and it is my understanding that she has decided she wants to join a sorority. I look at mom first to go, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Mom gives me the thumbs up. I'm like, great. So evidently, there's a process that you go through. There's an application that you go through. Evidently, there may even be a testing that you go through, maybe more strenuous than getting into the school itself. I don't know. It's about as expensive, I can tell you that. <laughs> and so I am told, listen, I really would love for you guys to come because this is the day when you're going to find out whether or not you made it and whether or not you made it in the one you want. I'm like, okay. This is something you really want us to come to? Yes. All right, great. I'm in. I want you to know I was not prepared. <laughs> I showed up to Union University. My understanding was they're going to find out, and then they're supposed to run to some house somewhere to celebrate the fact that they have made it into this sorority. And y'all, in the words of Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the other one. I found myself in a girl land that I was not prepared for. I've had Barbie tea parties. I have fixed teddy bears boo-boos. We have had campouts. We have done many things, but I was not prepared for these young women running toward one another, crying, jumping up and down, screaming, tiaras, pink, glitter, all of these things. And I'm looking around going, how did I get here? <laughs> and I'm looking at my wife going, how long is this going to last? I was out of place. And what Peter wants you to know is this. Listen, if you belong to Jesus, don't be surprised when you feel out of place. We turn on the television set. We see the news. We feel farther and farther removed. I remember growing up and I hear my grandparents still talking about, uh, I can't believe where society is, is at. I can't believe how many things are changing. And I used to just think, oh, come on, it's not that big a thing. And now I find myself thinking those same things. We live in a world where every definition is up for a challenge. Things that civilization has held sacred for millennia are suddenly being cast aside. Questions. And in this place, we find ourselves, this little democratic republic, 
things that we used to declare with some sort of fondness or boldness, we now hedge our bets on just a little bit. We don't say the same things we used to, and we don't do the same things we used to. And if you follow Jesus, you're going to find that you just really don't feel like you belong. And there's two parts to that. One, you shouldn't feel like you belong. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Your identity has been changed. And this place is a sojourn, but it's also an exile. When Christ rescues you from sin, you are saved. You are still being saved while you are on this sojourn in exile. And one day by his grace, you will be ultimately saved when you get home and made like Jesus. But until then, there's this tension that we live in. And we know it doesn't feel like home. And so Peter writes and he says, I, I want you to know, I love you. God loves you. He's not forgotten. But I know that you feel like sojourners. I know that you feel like exiles. But then he moves and he says, but listen, because your citizenship is in a different place, we don't live the same way. And he says, I want you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You see, as people who belong to Jesus, we don't follow the pattern of this world any longer. We are no longer subject to the prince of the power of the air, and we don't have to be subject to these fleshly desires anymore. And Peter says, I want you to abstain from these things. When you, the world starts to change around you, I don't want you to succumb to the pressure I don't want you to think, okay, we want to be on the right side of history. We will abandon orthodoxy. I don't want you to think that you have to be like everyone else. I want you to know that there is a kingdom worth living and dying for. But there are certain ways that we live. But we must be careful in this because this is where if, if we're not careful, if we don't think carefully as Christians, this is where we start messing up the gospel. This is where we read to abstain from these things, and instead of seeing the beauty of grace and the fact that Jesus rescues and saves us and gives us a new identity, instead we run in and think that it's a list of thou shalt nots that I must keep in order to earn his favor. You see, what we have to remember is that identity comes before behavior. And when Peter tells them, I want you to abstain from these things, God will never call you to abstain from something that he will not, by the power of his Holy Spirit, give you the ability to do. You see, one of the beautiful things about what Christ does for us, Romans 8 reminds us, we're no longer slaves to sin. God, the Holy Spirit, and his power at work in us takes the shackles that have bound us for so long and loosens them and sets us free. You don't have to be victim to sin anymore. And when he says, I want you to understand that these things wage war against your soul, this is not a small matter. It's a war. But I also want you to remember that it's a war that Christ has won, and it's a war that the Spirit gives us power to be victorious in. So when he says, 
I love you. God has not forgotten you. You're not going to feel like you're at home, but I need for you to abstain from these things. He's not trying to put religious weights on them and say, go earn God's favor by doing good things. He's saying that in Christ, he has already secured all of God's favor by what he has done. And when you are found in him dressed in his righteousness alone, you have all the power that you need to abstain from these things. And you need not fear this war. For God is greater. He is stronger. He is better. And in this war, the enemy comes to you over and over and over. And in his deceitful, duplicitous, despicable nature, he says to you, you cannot trust God. He wants to rob you of joy. He wants to rob you of fullness of life. He does not want you to be able to enjoy this life. He is unkind. He does not understand you. He does not know you. Go this way instead, and you will find the satisfaction and pleasure that you desire. And the problem with that is, is that we learn all too often just how destructive sin can be. And when we fall in battle, sometimes we fail to realize the cost until it's way past time. The beautiful thing is when we fall, we have a Savior who raises us up. Dear ones, I, I want you to know when it comes to reading things like this, and for those of you who are struggling right now in sin, sometimes there are weights that just seem to collapse on us and hold us captive. I need for you to know that there is a kind Savior who welcomes prodigals, and you can't get out of the mud before the Father's running. I need for you to know that you don't have to languish in despair, that you don't have to feel subject to sin's power that you can abstain from it, not because of your power, but because of his power at work within you. But we must always start with identity before we get to behavior. We have to be the beloved in Christ so that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us to give us that victory. And so as Peter tells them these things, we need to remember that identity. You see, when it comes to fighting sin, the first thing that I would commend to you is this, the blood of Jesus. The church has sung it for a long time. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. But the blood of Jesus. We must go back and remind ourselves who we are. When we fall prey to sin, when we find ourselves ensnared, when we feel as if we have now been trapped and we are now in a cage that we can't find release, we must remember that it will not be by our own strength. We did not save ourselves in the first place. And we must look to the one who has the power over sin and death. When your enemy tries to put a label on you that doesn't fit and does not apply. Failure. Never gonna make it. Nice try. Reject. When he tries to put one of those on you, remember who Jesus says you are. Son, daughter, joint heir set to inherit eternity. 
loved, cherished, a treasure. When it comes to these things, Peter wants us to know, listen, you're in a place you don't fit. Everybody is going to be living contrary to what it is, but I need for you to abstain from those things. And God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. He's given you the power of the Holy Spirit within. These things can be done. He's not just trying to give you works to do. He's already rescued. The works are the evidence that that power is at work within you. And so he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, I love the fact that he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He's writing to some Gentiles. Because it's a reminder. Although you were once alienated and separated, you're not anymore. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people that God has called into himself. And this word that we translate honorable or good, as you may have it in your translation, is actually a different word than the one that is normally used. And this one normally carries with it some sort of intrinsic, aesthetic, moral beauty. That's why I want us to talk about beautiful living. Because what Peter is really saying right here is he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles beautiful. You say, okay, well, how does that work exactly? As you read your Bible and you find things like when God transforms you and begins to work in you, that the fruit of righteousness in increasing measure comes out, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I can tell you it's amazing just how attractive that is to the world around us. When you can experience peace in the midst of chaos, when it seems that you have hope when there really shouldn't be any, There is a way that God's transforming power at work in us when people observe our lives, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let them see your good deeds so that they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Beautiful living comes from a beautiful Savior who's changed us into a people who can abstain from those things which wage war and tell people, you know what? Jesus is kind. It's not the way that I live most of my life. So that as he will tell us in the next chapter, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Beautiful living in a world when you hear people talk about Christians with a scowl and anger. Beautiful living when people say things like, well, Christians, they don't care about women. Christians, you know, they they just don't care about a woman's right to choose. They don't care about them at all. It's a patriarchal system. And Christians, they're so mean and hateful and angry. What happens when your neighbor goes, well, my neighbors are Christians and none of those things sound correct. Putting to silence those evildoers. When they vilify and they say, well, Christians... They're just so unkind and they're so uncaring. And someone at your workplace goes, no, that has not been my experience. You see, as Christ works in us, and people can see these things, when we keep our conduct among the lost beautiful, when they speak against us, It's hard for it to hold up. 
The problem is that instead of abstaining from these things which wage war against our souls, instead of living beautiful lives, we often look just like everybody else. Getting in all caps and all exclamation points in the Twitterverse, yelling at people through keyboards on Facebook, instead of there being this beautiful living where people can go, wow, that's different. Tell me about that. Explain this to me. Why does your family do like this? Why in your marriage do you say this? How come it is that you go to work and you do this while we're there and everybody else does that? What's the difference? Christ is the difference. Let me tell you of his goodness and his beauty because let me tell you what I once was. And so Peter wants them to know, hey, listen, I want you to keep that conduct beautiful so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they're going to see those good deeds and listen to this and glorify God on the day of visitation. God not only ordains the means of salvation, he not only ordains salvation, he also ordains the means. And who knows that by your beautiful living, that might be something he uses to pierce a hardened heart. What a marvelous thought. I had a girl in my youth group one time. She brought herself to youth group all the time, and I just began to talk to her and try to figure out what's going on. And the longer we talked, and it took us a while to get to know each other, she began to tell me about her life, and she began to share with me that her life was kind of difficult. And the more we talked, and the more she shared that I began to have some inclinations about some things that were going on in her home, and her dad had struggled with alcoholism for years. And so she had been in youth group for quite some time. She had confessed faith in Jesus. She was living uh, in such a way that you could see that Jesus on the inside making that difference on the outside. And then one day I'm sitting in my office and I hear this big noise in the parking lot. And this motorcycle comes in and this guy gets off the motorcycle. He looks like he's about eight foot 12. He looks not very happy. He walks up to the office and I can hear him. I want to see whoever this youth pastor guy is. I'm like, uh-oh. Comes walking in. Are you John? Yes, sir. Let me talk to you. He sits down in, in front of my desk and I sit down. I have no idea what's about to happen. But then all of a sudden he says this. He says, I am this girl's name. I'm her father. And all of a sudden, he just starts to weep. And he can't talk. And there, through tears, it takes him a little while to compose himself. And when he finally gets his bearings about him, he says, I don't know what it is that you do here at the church. He said, but I, I know this. Whatever she has, I want. It's a 15-year-old girl. I watched her dad's heart melt. She never once picked up her Bible. She didn't hand him a track. 
She just went home. And Christ had changed her, and he could see it. And on the day of visitation, as God's story continues to unfold, there's a big old guy who rides a motorcycle who has confessed faith in Jesus Christ. And it was the beautiful living of his 15-year-old daughter that showed him that Jesus on the inside makes a difference on the outside. Dear ones, I I want you to know, beloved, you are not going to fit in. Stop trying. It is not going to be convenient or comfortable. But this is not home for you. And you must abstain from things that will be destructive to your soul. And as the battle rages in your mind and the voices come and you struggle and this war rages on, I need for you to remember that you don't have to fight in your own strength and in your own ability. And as you live, keep your living beautiful in this polarized world so that perhaps on the day of visitation, somebody might say, It is true, because I saw Christ's transforming power at work in them. This is the beauty and power of the gospel. It rescues sinners, including alcoholic fathers, wayward teenage daughters, even religious hypocrites like me. Christ is kind and good. He is merciful and he will save. And there's a home somewhere else that one day when he sets all things right, we will enjoy together. But until that time, let us sojourn faithfully. Let us as exiles live in beautiful ways so that people will see Jesus on the inside makes a difference on the outside to the glory of God our Father.